As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Hello, welcome into the latest edition of 755 is Real. This is producer Cam. You'll hear from David and Eric in just a moment. The reason I'm coming on to start the show is because we have a special treat for you guys today. For those who have been paying attention to the podcast since the offseason, we have discussed incorporating a third show into our weekly schedule. And this will be it, most likely, throughout the season. It is a live room. And for those who have heard us discuss it on the show before, what it is is a way for David and Eric and you guys to interact in real time. On the Athletic app, there's a program that allows us to, much in the same way that Twitter Spaces and Clubhouse, for those of you who are familiar with those programs, in those same ways, be able to engage with you guys. You can ask your questions to David and Eric in real time, and they will answer them to the best of their abilities. Today, on April 19th, at about 2 p.m. Eastern time, was our first go with the live room. David and Eric told me they really enjoyed it, and we heard a lot of the same from the subscribers that were there today. All in all, it was a great time in the Athletic app. And if you want to join us in the future, in real time, to ask your questions to David and Eric, you can do so by subscribing to us here on the podcast feed, Apple, Spotify, etc. Wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure to leave us a review as well. That just helps us. It means a lot. Also, make sure to subscribe to The Athletic. If you go to theathletic.com slash 755 is real, you can subscribe for just a dollar a month for six months. I mean, best sports reporting in the world for less than a cup of coffee. You can't beat it. Also, make sure to subscribe to David and Eric on Twitter at DOBrianATL and at EOF34. Usually, they'll send out the links about an hour or so in advance of the live room so you guys can click on it and join us. So before we go, just wanted to thank you guys for all the support that you have given us, not only through the start of this year, but since we've started, you guys have been the catalyst for where we are today and We love bringing you guys these podcasts, hence why we're trying to bring more to you. You guys are great fans. We couldn't do this without you. And without further ado, I'm going to shut up. Here's David and Eric in the Athletic app in the live room from today answering subscriber questions. We hope you guys can join us live in the future. 
my name is Rob. I guess I just wanted to ask. Uh, hey, we got somebody on. <laughs> yeah. Why do they keep running Newcomb out there? I asked him the exact question. All I could do is ask. And I said, why Newcomb? Did you like the matchups? And he goes, as opposed to who? And I said, well, frankly, I could list the guys on your bullpen that I would prefer over Newcomb in that situation. And he said, who, Matzik, mentor in the in the fourth inning? So his, and, and Eric would be a lot better to uh, address this than myself, but his feeling is that you can't use those key guys that early in a game my response would be in the year 2022, things have changed. And I don't think you're committing to do it every game. I don't know why you can't bring a guy in with down three runs, why you can't bring mentor in to get one out in that situation. I know it's the fourth inning, but those end up being the most important, the most important out of the game, right? Because the Braves yeah. come back and score four. Well, I, I can expand on that a little bit. Um, you know, it's not necessarily whether you can bring him on or whether he's the best guy for that role, it's asking him to be ready from the right. third inning until the eighth inning uh, for the whole season. You know, those, those moves work in the playoffs because guys are just on high alert. Right. Uh, they know that at any point, you know, the, the starter gets in trouble in the first or second inning in the playoffs, you might yank him, but it's, it's not sustainable for 162. So it's, it's more like, you know, the stress you're putting a reliever, especially one of your studs like Minter through, Right. To start stretching and getting loose and getting sure. a sweat going in the third, right? And you warm yep. him up in the third or fourth. Say Anoa gets out of that jam and doesn't and doesn't you don't yep. wind up using Minner. Okay. Now you call Minner again in the sixth or seventh. Yep. He's already thrown. Now he's cooled off. Now he's trying to get hot again. So it's it's something that, you know, it's really hard to understand. Um yep. if you've never been through it and tried to stay locked in mentally and physically and stay loose. But throwing you know, throwing it 745 in the third inning and then cooling off and then trying to get hot again at 815 or 845 or 915 all these different times it's it's hard on your arm it's hard on you mentally so what what managers like to do yeah is try to give guys this smaller window to prepare for so yeah. that they can get a sweat going get the phone call hop on the mound and throw um, it's just, it's way easier on the body and the arm to do it this way. And I know it makes sense, you know, here's this highest leverage situation. Let's bring this right. reliever in, but you never know when that's going to pop up. So you're asking a guy to stay hot and stay prepared the whole game. And it just beats the shit out of him mentally. And then it wears him out physically warming up, getting cold, warming up again, two hours later. It's just, it's not sustainable for 162, even though it works great in the playoffs. And you know what? I wish Snit had explained it like that because that is a great explanation for it. Because we don't think out here of why couldn't you just use mentor in this specific game in the fourth inning? Not that you're committing to do that every game. But I totally understand what you're saying, how you tell guys not to be ready for just one inning, but to be ready for a window. So he would have been, he would have had to start warming up, like you said, in the third inning and be ready in the fourth, theoretically, or or unless he's a guy that can warm up really quickly. But I understand exactly yeah. what you're saying. I wish Snit would have just explained it a little better than the way he did, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what you wind up putting your guys through when yeah. You know, when, if you catch a reliever with an, uh, a phone call when they're not warmed up and you catch them off guard, yeah, it's it's pure panic mode, you know. And so it it have to be a matter of communication where you tell them, look, you know, is looking like he's had, you know, two, three rough starts in a row. We might use you in the fourth inning and then it's totally different. Yeah. But to just randomly do it throughout the season, it's, yeah. it's just not sustainable. All right. All right. Let's go to the next one. Andrew. Andrew, you're up. 
<laughs> hey guys, how are y'all doing? I, Dave, I really appreciate you asking hard questions last night, and Eric, really appreciate the the feedback you just gave. Uh, question is, Eric, is, is there a philosophy when you were in bullpens about usage in terms of if we're down three to four runs, we're not going to use these guys, or if we're up three to four runs, we're going to use these guys? And kind of my question for Dave on that part is, it seems like the last couple of years with Snit, he doesn't like using elite guys in key moments and not even third inning. I'm talking yeah, yeah. five or six inning where I'm like, okay, throw an elite guy right here. We've got the bats on this team. This I is agree. The, this is our uncle's Braves team that couldn't come back from three runs. We can get three runs next inning. And I don't, is there a philosophy that is not flipped yet for the Braves? Any insight on that? And I'll hang up. Love y'all. Thanks a lot. Okay. <laughs> To answer my um, part, um, yeah, go ahead. I, I think the same thing. I think I, I, I understand totally what Eric said about not using Mentor or Matzik in the in the uh, fourth inning last night. But I'm with you. I think if they'd have been down 3-0 in the fifth inning, and possibly even the sixth inning, I don't think Snit would have used those guys. And I think he looks at it as those are my key guys, and I can't use them every day. Blah blah blah. But last night. You had used the two rookies the day before to get every out in the game in San Diego. You've got an off day coming up finally on Thursday. So all you needed to do was get through two more games. And you've got like a nine-person bullpen right now. So, um, but yeah, to answer your question, uh, or Eric, answer your the part about uh, you know being uh, when to use guys if you use them down three runs or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's fair that you had a rested pen and and could make certain moves in in the fourth yesterday if you wanted to. I mean, it goes back to what I was saying about just right. your relievers knowing what to be prepared for. Um, you normally in a bullpen you'd have you'd have your three or four guys that that are pitching when we're winning. You know, from the sixth, seventh inning right. on, these are our go tos. Then we got our closer. Um, it, it's a little difficult in Snit's position because he has like six or seven guys he wants to use to lock down wins. And I think his strategy is to not have to pitch them back to back. So if say today he saves right. Will Smith and he saves Matzik and he uses Jansen and, you know, say even Strider comes out of the pen or something like that. The goal is to not use these guys on back to back days. Right so, now it is later. They right. Will. Later they will, you know, later you get in the season but you're always thinking when you run a pen, you're always thinking about tomorrow too. So if right. you got a situation where the game could possibly get out of hand, you got Kershaw on the mound throwing well, you yeah. you think, all right, what are the odds we lose this game right now? And I get that the team comes back from down three a lot, but if that if that inning yesterday happens to blow up, then you don't want to use Minner because you want to use him the next day and the next day after that. So it's it's about keeping guys available to possibly do a back to back, and and not burning them. And I think a lot of times it's every situation gets looked at in a vacuum, and you can't do that as a manager. You know, if you look at if you look back at 2011, how many times we were down one, and me and Johnny and Craig all all pitched right, and then we got into a situation where right. the next day Christian right. Martinez is trying to close out a, a yep. win, and you're up by one. Yep. So you're always trying to manage which relievers you're keeping available for tomorrow, too. Yeah, Freddie got in trouble with that, uh, using his guys every time he had a chance to win a game. And, yeah. 
you use them three days in a row sometimes. And Snit is very careful not to do that. You know, so he cannot be he cannot be ever accused of abusing his relievers, and that's and that's to be commend, commended. Uh, you know, uh, it, it gets frustrating. I know as a fan to watch, but he does not abuse his guys. So if a guy gets injured or something, it's not going to be because Snit overused him. Yeah. All right, John, what do you got, man? You're on. You're on. Hey guys, first of all, thank you so much for uh, your time and your podcast. I love it. Truly appreciate it. Um, I guess my question for you guys uh as fans you know we see first couple of weeks and we can go in panic mode but uh like seeing Noah not really make it through the third inning last night or, or whatever it was and um you know we see elder he's doing okay but when do we start to like maybe hit the panic button on some of these young arms uh like the newcombs like the davidsons or even uh some of our bats like dansby you know right now is having one of his worst spells that we know he will always have. Um, and we get his 162 game season, but at the same time, we also know this division is going to be a dog fight this year. And every win counts, even in April, like winning in April wins just as much as it does in September. Of course, it's closer to the end of the season, but still every win counts. So when do you guys well, think me, we well, might see some shifts there? Yeah, let me ask you, you're asking when to panic. And you're asking me the year after the team literally was under 500 more than 100 games into the season. So, I mean, I don't know how to answer that. Do I say you panic next week when we just saw them be, you know what I mean? And I'm not trying to be a smart ass. I'm just saying we don't have to look back five years to find a chance, a, a year where they overcame early. Last year, they were down. Yeah. They were under 500 in August. Sure. And that's fair. I guess you also have to acknowledge, though, that. The Mets collapsed. Yeah, um, and the Mets are a lot better this year. You got a good point. Yeah, so the Mets Philly. collapsed. They're too. a lot better. They're deeper. Phillies better too. Phillies are deeper. They're not just relying on Bryce and JT. They got four or five legit bats in that lineup now, and their rotation is legit. Yeah. And I think but, if we have that approach, we might be behind the gun. But as long as you're only a few games back, there's never time to pant. I mean, you don't pant. You can be five, six, seven games back at this point. I mean, you know a month, two in the season, you still got four months to pick it up. So we're far, far from being in panic mode. And like, you know, last night, uh, you know, you got the, one of the worst starts of Eddie Rosario, the worst spells of his career, and definitely the worst start to his career. One for 29, I think he was before last night, but he gets that lines that double and two day and the day before that in San Diego, he had two line outs. So that's a definite positive sign from Eddie Rosario. And if you look at his track record, I mean, do we expect that Eddie, at his age, which is not old at all, all of a sudden forgot how to play baseball? I don't think so. So, I, don't, I, mean, I mean, Dansby is a streaky guy, man. Frustrating to watch, but he's a really streaky guy, and he doesn't really make adjustments to where he'd be less streaky. So, I think you got to live with that as long as you have him on your team. So, the rest of the lineup, though, you're really getting some big contributions from these guys. I, I think the lineup's going to be fine. And then when you add Acuna with some other guys coming around, you know, you're going to you're going to remove one of those bottom three bats that have been struggling when you had Acuna. Um, I think all of a sudden you got as good a lineup as there is in the division and probably the league. What do you think, uh, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I think you summed it up. You know, last year you were under 500 for a majority of the season and wound up winning the World Series. Um, I know it's a tougher division this year, but Braves weren't picked to win it last year. And. It, it worked out fine. It's as a player, it's kind of like 
you know, every, every year as a reliever, you give up a three spot in, in early April and you're sitting on an ADRA and everybody panics and thinks your year before was a fluke. And if you buy into it, your year before will be a, a, a fluke. But as a player, you learn to just kind of stay even keel. Um, I know it's, it's harder, you know, even for me, it's harder just watching the games at home, but yeah, I mean, I, I think DOB summed it up. You you couldn't have a better example than you got last year of a team being under 500 more than halfway through the season and winning the World Series. As for And as for concerns about the young arms, well, Tucker Davidson's gone now, so you're not going to worry about him, and he won't be back for a while probably. Uh, Bryce Elder, I thought, looked outstanding for two games. He's surpassed all my expectations at this young age, so I wouldn't use him as a sign of anything negative. That guy's pitched really well, I thought. Um, you know what? Yeah, that's. I think there's reason for concerns. Stan was talking about how he made big progress last night. I really didn't see it, quite frankly. Even though, you know, the last couple of runs against them were Newcomb coming in and giving up that that basis clearing double. But I, yeah. you know, Enoa has not looked at since he got hurt last year. Since he broke his hand, he's punching the bench. He's just not been the same pitcher. On the other hand, you're not going to need six starters come when you trim the roster down May second and you got to remember they only had three and a half weeks of spring training. So right now the guys are at like where they would be going into their last start of spring or the next, to last start of spring. So they're still not built up yet. And they will be in another few weeks and you're not going to have six starters. You're going to go with five at that point when you have off days in the schedule and all that. So you can eliminate one of those guys. And I think you're going to be able to have five sound, uh, a good five man rotation, even though right now the ERA is for everybody, but, uh, but uh, about one of them kind of stink. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What do we got, uh, Matt R? Matt, Matt R, you're on. Uh, you're on with us. Go, go ahead, bud. Thanks for doing this. Um, I know it's early on, small sample size, all that, but I think DLB, you already noted that the uh, outfield defense is a little rough. That's one of the things I don't quite see a path to market improvement on, just because even when we bring Acuna back, put him in right, you know, Duvall is serviceable in center. He's elite in left, right, and. Um, I guess I just don't see. I know AA didn't sign Rosario to be an $18 million bench player, but at what point do we feel like, look, the hallmark of these four division titles were having better defense in a team like the Phillies, for example. At what point do we need to address something like that? Well, it's a, it's a legitimate question. The outfield defense has been terrible. Um, you're going to take one of those out. You're going to take Azuna. Actually, Azuna's been better than Rosario, but Rosario 
his mistakes came early. He hasn't made one in a few games. So I, I don't think Rosario is a bad defensive player. He's kind of erratic. He kind of has to make up sometimes for bad reads with athleticism, but he did that last year. Remember the catch he made? Yeah. Yeah. He Credit where it's due. One of the greatest catches ever. Totally. Right. Agree. But Ozuna is not a good defensive player. He's got a terrible arm, but you're going to have him at DH. And when you put a Cunha in right, all of a sudden you're going to have an elite right fielder. As you said, a serviceable or better center fielder. I would have gone out and got a center fielder and I mm-hmm. like Moretti's defense and center, but you're going to have to, you need to keep, you need to keep Duvall in the lineup. Uh, so as long as he's, you know, as long as you you don't have another center fielder, you got to go with what you have. They can put Acuna in center sometimes, but he's just yeah, so much he better to, in right, right field with that arm, you know? And you don't want him running left to right and covering in the gaps, especially coming off ACL. Not that he's not going to get, not that he can't get injured in right, because he can. Mm-hmm. He did last year. But there's just more risk and more. He's gonna, The legs are going to be more tired when he's going gap to gap. But I noticed I Heredia has been being subbed in right this year as opposed to center, and they're keeping Duvall steady. Is that because they don't want to fuck with Duvall, do you think? Or yeah, is Snit it something want, change? I know. I, Snit doesn't want to move him around. I agree. Heredia is better in center. When he's in the lineup, he should be in center, in my opinion. But he likes to keep Duvall in center and playing every day out there. And uh, But I agree with you. Heredia is a better center fielder. But that, that is, that's the way Snit's using them. So, Eric, you got any thoughts on that? No, I mean, just if, if a guy is saying this bothers him or, he, you know, he likes the consistency of being in a position, you know, I mean, guys don't say this stuff for fun. Nobody wants to be high maintenance. Right. And mm-hmm. maybe he is saying that off the re- – you know, he hasn't said it to us, but maybe he did tell Snit that. I'd prefer yeah. to stay in center. He, he very well may have. And Snit would never tell us that because Snit's not going to throw a guy under the bus. Yeah. That stuff doesn't come out of nowhere, though. Right. Right. And we know Acuna Acuna would prefer to stay in right, too. But Snit says he'll uh, – Alex told us he said he'd play anywhere, which I'm sure he will. But he has said he wants to – he'd prefer to stay in right. He told uh, Andrew Jones that. So we'll see. Um, It's early. I mean, I I don't think Rosario is a bad defensive player. He's not a gold glover, but he's not as bad as he looked early. It's a really small sample size. He went from minus five defensive runs saved – to minus two in literally three days. That's how small the sample size is right yeah. now. We'll see. And and you know, Alex, Alex is not. If this mm-hmm. becomes, if this main, if this is a problem that continues, Alex and Davos is not going to sit on his hands, man. This guy's not scared to make a move at any time. So if we get to the midseason and, and outfield defense is a real problem, you will see Alex make a move to get a center fielder in here because there's going to be teams that are out of it that are looking to move a guy and. You know, there's uh, there's things that can be done if it comes to that, but it's not we're not there yet at all. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks, fellas. Yep, yep, you got it. Alan, you're on, man. Hey, um, I just wanted to know uh, what you guys' opinion on in the future uh, with the combination of the 15 day pitcher IL, the uh, inability to uh, shuffle people. Uh, back and forth uh, all year to the minors um, and the 13 uh, pitcher roster limit. If we'll see a rise in complete games or at least pitches pitching past the seventh inning. (laughs) Unfortunately, I think, I think that the cat's out of the bag, so to speak, as far as complete games. And I don't think we're going back to that because teams now, because they're run by analytics and analytics tell them that it's better to bring a reliever in than have the most starters face a guy for the uh, for the third time, much less for the fourth time. 
I just don't think we're going to go back to that with a few exceptions, obviously, but there's not many uh, coming along that are like, you know, Scherzer or DeGrom. Well, DeGrom's hurt all the time now, so he's not a good example, but there's just, or, you know, even Kershaw's only going six innings now because he's older. So, but I just don't think many of these young guys are being trained to go seven, eight, nine, six innings is the new eight innings, you know, it's just, unfortunately, and I, and I hate it because I love seeing starters go deep into games, but I don't think we're going back here. And that's regardless of the 15 day IL and, uh, and the limit on the number of pitchers. I got a phone call, so I missed the question. His question was with, with, uh, with going back to uh, 15 day ILs instead of 10 and with a limit on pitchers to 13, do you think we'll see a time? Do you think we'll see the return of guys going complete games, starters going complete games and deep? And I said, I just don't think we're going back to that now with analytics running teams like they do. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see us ever going back. You know, there's, there's still a few managers that manage on feel and their gut and and right. how the how the game's going. And you know, I mean, I, I'm still big into that. That if you can look at the way a pitcher's throwing the ball and nobody's taking a good swing at him, you know. Yep. You should at least look at the way the pitcher's throwing the ball before you just decide just flatly that because it's the third time through the order, he can't face this specific yeah. hitter and you got to get him out. Um, some teams do that. Some teams just stick to the program no matter what. You know, I mean, it, I think it depends on the manager and whether they're a guy that just takes orders or does what the, uh, yeah. does what their gut tells them. But, yeah, I don't think we're going back to it just because of the, especially, you know, if you look at it, the velocity starting pitchers are throwing at yeah. now, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to sit 92, 93 when you got 95 in the tank, but these guys got 95 in the tank and they're sitting 95 for the first six innings of the game. So I think starters, you know, they definitely gas out a lot faster now. Yeah. They're told, they're told to go out there and give us what you got for as long as you can give it to us. And then we'll, we'll put a, bring in a bullpen guy. They're not yep. told to try to go to pace yourself and try to go, you know, seven, eight innings and save the pen and blah, blah, blah. Uh, a guy like Bryce Elder, the, the Braves happen to have a guy who could go be one of those guys that goes deep into games. He's a five pitch guy. He doesn't throw 98. He's not out there going max effort. He's a real throwback in that regard. So I think you could see him going deep into games because of the pitcher he is. Um, Eric mentioned the guys that'll do it going feel. I don't think there's anything more maddening for a fan or for a media member watching a game than to see a starting pitcher removed after five or six innings because coming up third time through the order, even if the guy's pitching great, just because analytics tell them third time through the order, it's it's time to bring in the bullpen guys. I, I just, I hate that. Yeah. But, I mean, that's where we are, but I think it's uh, the guys you mentioned that do that. I don't think it's a coincidence that they're going to be guys like, your show walkers, your guys who are established and have this gravitas and aren't worried about the GM and the anal- and the analytics people having getting their job if they don't uh, do things exactly the way they're told. The guys, the older guys that have been around and don't really give a shit, they're the ones that are going to be doing that on field. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Brandon, you're on, man. Yes. Hey, hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, uh, I'm a huge fan. Yeah. I got a question. Um, about Freddie, you know, I know this Freddie thing's still going on, but a lot of fans are kind of, you know, bashing him. They still think that he did the wrong thing. Has there been any like extra information about the whole agent thing? I know Buster only had the, the article, but you know, nothing for sure or nothing concrete has come out about exactly what happened and what went wrong. Is there any like behind the scenes information to help further the whole debacle of Freddie not resigning? Well, 
I mean, I hear stuff I, yesterday I, that I have off the record that I can't say because it's in, it was said in privacy. But let me just say, let me summarize it. And here's what I, and, and Eric has heard stuff too, because Eric knows people who are v- really good <laughs> friends with Freddie that know stuff. But let me just say without uh, try, uh, revealing things that I should not reveal, but I'm just going to say, and, and this is, and this is not just me saying, this is a round baseball saying Casey Close did no favors for his client. The agent did no favors for his client. He did not communicate with him as he should have all along. Freddie didn't help himself by at some point he should have just told Casey Close when they went into this whole thing. Freddie should have said, listen, my priorities to stay in Atlanta. And when it got ugly, when the Braves raised their offer only five million or whatever and didn't go any higher than 100. Freddie should have said, if he was that set on staying in Atlanta, get the best deal you can to, to keep me in Atlanta and let's take it. If that's what he wanted, he should have made that clear to Casey Close. Casey Close, on the other hand, should not have been trying to get every dollar he could have out of the brace if this is clearly where Freddie wanted to be. This is not a normal, a regular case of a guy who's willing to go to the highest bidder or go to the most attractive team or the team that can win the World Series. Freddie wanted to stay in Atlanta. Everything, and, and they, if people don't believe that, they're wrong. He did. And we talked to him yesterday again, and it was abundantly clear to me talking to him again yesterday. He wanted to stay in Atlanta. Will he be happy in, 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 with the Dodgers? Yes, eventually he will be. But right now, he'd rather be with Atlanta. Eric? Yeah, I mean, it's you can't just cry on command when you're a grown man. <laughs> you know, those aren't yeah, those aren't fake emotions that you're seeing right. um, when he talks about his time there and how bad he wanted to come back. Uh, I think more than anything, it can all just be blamed on a lack of communication. And I don't, I don't know if people understand that. You know, when you're a free agent, it's not like you call your agent every day. Right. There's days where you don't hear from him for two weeks and you finally get antsy and call him and you're like, what's going on? What, you know, what's going on with Atlanta, this? And they're like, nothing's changed. And maybe they haven't even spoken and they're, they're kind of playing a game of chicken waiting for somebody, um, to, to call them and, and change their offer. But when the offer is the same as it's been, you know, Freddie was pretty clear from the get go. He wanted six years. Atlanta was at five. Right. You know, there probably wasn't a lot to talk about. And I think that, you know, maybe both sides thought the other side wanted it to work more than they did in a sense that neither one of them was willing to budge. And yeah. then it got to the point where, you know, you're getting close to the season and AA had to make a move. Um, I think, you know, it would have probably been nice on, on Alex's part to call Freddie and say, Hey, we're about yep. to make this trade. But no Alex probably assumed that when, uh, Freddie's agent gave him an ultimatum, ultimatum that that freddie was ready to move on himself so i think that's where there was just a lack of communication in the whole thing um but it's definitely not you know freddie wanted to be in california all along because you can't just fake cry on command when you're that upset about leaving somewhere yeah he did not and everybody you know the people that said uh uh freddie wanted to get back home to california he's from there and now that no it wasn't that's not the case he lives in california in the off season he would have been that's what he preferred to keep doing. And yeah. to that point, he actually had to buy another house here in LA because <laughs> I saw that. Because it's too far. You can't commute from Corona Del Mar to Dodger Stadium. It's fifty five minutes without traffic. Well, there's never no traffic in LA. And there are times where he would have probably been late to the ballpark if there was any kind of traffic tie up on the in the on the highway. But he's gonna be spending two hours a day plus driving back and forth. So he had to buy another house. And if anybody knows what the real estate market is like in L.A., (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that that was one year's salary gone. Probably. Right, that means he had to buy another house here. They bought a place in Studio City. They had to spend a lot more here than they spent on their house in Atlanta. So, yeah. I mean, it defeats all the purpose of, of coming back here. It wasn't for money. And that sixth year, his agent ends up getting him the sixth year. Yeah, but he did it for with deferred money that with the deferred money and the tax rate in California, he is going to be making less money. The value of the contract is less than it would have been in Atlanta and playing for another year on the contract. So the yep. agent did him no favors. And I don't want to say that the Braves are blameless in this, because like you said, the Braves, I will say this about Alex Andopoulos. This is a guy that does not get caught with his pants down. When we're getting close to the season, he is not going to be left holding the bag and have Olsen, have another team make a trade for Olsen, who was the only, only acceptable backup when you didn't look at Freddie, was Olsen. They did a terrific job getting Olsen to replace Freddie. He's the only guy that could have replaced him. The only guy available. So Alex is not going to go. He's not a guy that is ever going to get caught, get screwed by Freddie, you know, having leverage at with another team trades for Olsen. And then he has to pay Freddie or he has to take a really unacceptable alternative to replace Freddie. So he made the Olsen move. I think Freddie, Alex should have got on the phone to Freddie himself. Even if the agent said, don't talk to that Freddie, and right. I don't know what he said, but he should have told Freddie himself and said, just so you know, Freddie, this is the ultimatum we got from your agent. We can't do that, and we're going to yeah. make the trade for Olsen unless you accept this amount of money. And I think if he'd have done that, Freddie would have taken that contract. Yeah, I mean, that, that puts everybody in a tough spot, but – you know, I, that's kind of what I think, too, is if, if Freddie had been aware that they were going to move on, it could have changed yeah. everything. Yeah. All right. Kyle, uh, Kyle, you're up, bud. Go ahead. Catch both of you. Been listening to you for a while. E, this one's for you specifically. After two somewhat mediocre starts for Max Reed, what adjustments are you looking for him to make going into tonight? You know, it's uh, for me, I just see him when, when he's off. He's up in the zone and he's flying open a little bit, but it's, it's so hard to want to tweak and adjust things after even just two bad starts this early in the season. Um, sometimes, you know, especially without getting to get fully built up, you don't change a thing. You don't try to adjust the thing and you just go throw again. And today you have it. Um, so I, I can't really say there's any specific adjustment I'm looking for from him other than just staying ahead in the count and using his breaking ball. And that's it. I've been told that we are past our prescribed limit for this one. So we're going to do this again. This is cool. I like doing this. And I'm glad you guys, a bunch of you got on. And we'll we'll try to go through the questions a little quicker next time. Sorry, I know I get long-winded. And uh, and you guys are all lined up here. And sorry we didn't get to everybody. But we'll do this again soon and do it throughout the season. We'll do at least one of these per week. So we really appreciate you guys coming on with the questions and all that. Again, sorry we didn't get to all of them. But that's it. We're done. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.